All right. Uh, this is a sermon series, Journey to Change. Uh, again, it's going to be kind of a, a, a difficult transition from the, the heavy nature of our prayer time into, uh, into our sermon. So I want to tell us a little bit of a story uh, to get us headed in the right direction. This is a true story, by the way. There are different kinds of stories that preachers tell. There are preacher stories and there are true stories. Kind of like fishing stories, we got different kinds of stories. This is, this is one of the true ones. Okay, so um, in Texas, uh, this story from Rick Ashley, a preacher that I like to listen to. He tells a story of a woman and her husband that decided they want to start going to church together. And uh, uh, they, they really wanted to try that. So one Sunday they get up and they get ready for church. They get their kids together. They had young kids at the time, so it takes a while. They're a couple minutes late walking into church. And uh, they were really excited to be there, but it doesn't go well. It doesn't go well at all. The preacher at the church preaches this message of just really aggressive condemnation. It's just really aggressive and, and really angry. And they were both troubled. And as they leave church that afternoon, the husband looks at the wife and he says to her, he says, if that's what Christianity does, if that's what Christianity makes a person, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't want anything to do with that. Sure, there's some problems in my life, but at least I'm not as angry as that guy is. And so they stopped. They didn't go back to that church. In fact, they didn't go back to any church for three years. They didn't go back to church. But the wife especially just felt something missing in her heart. And so she tried to pour herself into different avenues to find something to fill that thing that was missing. She poured herself into work and no... No success there. She put herself into exercise and fitness. Eventually got to the point where she ran a marathon and still no fulfillment. That missing hole was still there. She even, she even really devoted herself to her family and that was good, but as much as she loved her family, not even her family could fill that void that was missing. And, and so she goes to her husband and she said, I, I know the last time we went to church it did it didn't work, but I'd really like to try it again. And so they find themselves at the Hills Church in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's a fantastic church. And this time they hear a message of grace. They hear the good news that God loves them so much. that He sent His one and only Son that whoever would believe in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And they hear this message and they say, that's what we were missing. And so they start going to church and they keep going to church and they've been there for a year and they're starting to get involved in the ministry that the Hills has going on. And at about the year mark, they uh, hear an announcement that the church play is going to happen. Now the Hills is a massive church, so it's not like so much a play as it is uh, a production Right? This is a high-quality production. They have a staff member who oversees theatrical productions, and they call it the Summer Spectacular. And every year they put on a program that tells the story of the Good Samaritan. What a perfect story to portray. And so they're um, doing this, and the woman says she just felt uh, Holy Spirit stirring and telling her that she needed to audition for this performance. And so she does, and she's cast into the play. And she's excited and she's meeting all kinds of great people and, and they're developing relationships. Well, on the first night after the performance, everything goes well. Uh, she is excited. She is just on fire for the Lord. And she's walking out of the staging area to go into the lobby 
to just greet people as they leave, and a woman walks up to her with great urgency, and, and she walks up, she's got two kids, one in each arm, and she says, hey, thank you so much for what you're doing. It really means a lot to me and my family. Oh, it's no problem, it's no problem. My son is lost. And the, and the woman just, again, feels the stirring of Holy Spirit, and she says, you know, well, I, I was lost too. I was a prodigal. That's why this performance meant so much to me, because I was a prodigal daughter, and God has rescued me through this message of grace and redemption. And the woman's nodding along, nodding along. Finally, she says, yeah, that, that's really good. My, my son, he's, he's four, and he's lost. Can you help me find him? I don't know uh, how often you've shared your faith with somebody and you've just uh, felt the, the stir of Holy Spirit and how often you've shared your faith and it's missed. And that person was on a different page than you entirely. I've had experiences like that. And sometimes we share our faith with somebody who's asking a completely different question and we walk away and we feel kind of stupid. We feel like we failed. But I want to tell you this morning that... It's never a mistake when you share your faith with somebody. It's never a mistake when you share your faith with somebody. Uh, Jesus tells us that in a parable, the parable that we're going to look at today. It's in Mark chapter 4, so if you would, while you're writing that down, uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Mark chapter 4. I'm going to have it up here on the screen for you. Uh, Mark chapter 4, we'll start in verse 1. But here's what Jesus has to say about sharing your faith and some of the lessons we can learn from it. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Once again, Jesus began teaching by the lakeshore. A very large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat while all the people remained on the shore. He taught them by telling them many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seed, and as he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock, and that seed, it sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun, and since it didn't have deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among the thorns and grew up and choked out the tender plants so they produced no grain. Still other seed fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now we're going to skip down to verse 14 and listen to the explanation that Jesus gives. The farmer plants seed by taking God's word to other. And the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents other believers who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of life the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept, who hear and accept God's word and, uh, and, and, and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as has been planted. I don't know where you're at today. I don't know where you're at in your faith, but I know that for each of us, there is a lesson in this text. And we're going to look at the lessons that each of us can learn from this text. And I want to start with uh, the seed, though. 
Before we get to the lessons that each of us can learn from this text, I want to start with a seed. So some of you in this room are farmers. Some of you farm for a living. Some of you farm professionally. Some of you farm recreationally. Uh, Some of you in this room are farmers, and uh, I'm not a farmer, um, but I do know this. I know there are different companies that you can get your seed from, right? So far, I'm on solid ground, right? Okay, very good. Thank you, David. I'm on solid ground so far, but like I said, I'm not a farmer, so I know that there is Bex, right, Ben? Yeah, I know there's Bex. Uh, go ahead and tell me about some other companies. Just shout it out. Other companies that you can get seed from. Pioneer. Where's some other ones? There's only two companies. I feel like this is a big business. I, there's market share to be had. Pi- what? Okay. Okay. What's another one? Give me one more and we'll move on. Stewart. And so here's what could happen. All of you who gave me an example, you could get together after church and I could say, I want you to figure out which one's the best. And how awesome would that conversation be, right? You would talk until you are blue in the face and you would all still agree that your seed company is the best seed company. Let me tell you something. The seed that we are scattering, church, is by far and away the best seed that there is. Let me tell you a little bit about it. The God who created the universe and everything in it, including us, including us, recognized, recognized that we had a sin problem, that sin was not just entering in our lives, but it was creeping into our lives and taking control of our lives and enslaving us. And the God who created the universe, pure and holy and perfect, didn't resent us, didn't decide to wipe us out, decided to restore us and redeem us. He did something about it. He sent us a rescuer. He sent us a redeemer. He sent us Jesus, a Savior. And our Savior loves us so much that he allowed himself to be killed so that we wouldn't have to be killed for the sin that enslaves us. And he loves us so much that he died for us so that instead of being killed for our sin, we could be restored to a right relationship with God. You see, Jesus knew how incredible a relationship with God was. He's had it since the foundations of the universe and millennia before that. He knew how wonderful a relationship with the Creator could be. And he came to bring that to us. And he wants us to have that. He wanted us to have that relationship. And so now, everyone who believes in Jesus is no longer a slave to sin, but a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Now everyone who believes in Jesus is no longer doomed to die, but free for all eternity to live and dwell in the presence of Most High God who created and redeemed the universe. That's the seed we're scattering. Anybody else in here think that's good seed? I think that's pretty good seed. That's the seed we're planting, church. I want to talk real quick about uh, seed throwers. Because we're here, we're gathered here together. I think a pretty good name for us, if we were to to come up with a different name, if we said we're not going to call ourselves Christians anymore, uh, we could call ourselves seed throwers. That would be a pretty good name for us. I want to talk real quick to the seed throwers, and then we're going to talk about different types of soils. Our job is to throw seed everywhere we go. We're supposed to make a big old mess. Just 
throw seed everywhere. And uh, you don't have to be a theological giant to throw seed. You don't have to be a theological giant to throw seed. You don't have to think like C.S. Lewis or Billy Graham, one of my favorite preachers to listen to on a weekly basis named Matt Chandler, and he talks about the man who led him to Christ. He was a sophomore in high school. He just got done with football practice. He was in the locker room, and a senior named Jeff walked up to him and said, hey, uh, when are we going to sit down? I can tell you about my, uh, my Lord Jesus. And he just stood there until Matt said, well, I, I guess I'm not doing anything right now. He said, all right, let's go. And that's how Matt Chandler became a Christian. All of a sudden, Matt Chandler leads a church in the Dallas area of 14,000 people and is ahead of the one, of one of the more influential church planning organizations in the world. It's because Jeff had the courage to walk up and throw some seed. And we can do that. We don't have to be a theological giant. We just have to know what our lives were like before Jesus and what our lives are like after Jesus. We can do that. Now, I want to ask you a question. You are empowered uh, to share your faith with somebody. I think you can do it. Might be awkward the first time, might be awkward the second time, but I guarantee you it'll strengthen your faith the more that you share your faith. But I want to ask you a question. Uh, as a person who is capable of throwing seed, where would you want it to land? Uh, Jesus gives us four options, so I'm going to ask you in that context. We have, uh, it can land on the path. It can land on rocky soil, it can land on soil with weeds, or it can land on good fertile soil. As a seed thrower, where do you want the seed to land? Yeah, the fertile soil. We want it all to land on the fertile soil. Uh, if you agree with that, just go ahead and give me a raised hand here. Very good, very good. Everyone passes this morning. Uh, we want it all to land on the fertile soil. But here's the thing, we don't know what that looks like. We don't know what that looks like. I don't know what fertile soil looks like. And you don't know what fertile soil looks like. It's not about what's out here. It's about what's in here. So the person we talk to that has on dress slacks and a nice belt and a button-down shirt and a tie, they may be good soil and they may not be. And the person who has uh, a sleeveless biker jacket with tattoos going down, right? They may be fertile soil and they may not be. And the woman who has blue hair and a lip ring, she may be good soil, and she may not be. See, it's not our job to judge somebody. It's our job to scatter seed. It's not our job to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's our job to scatter seed. I heard Rick actually say once that uh, one of the biggest things that keeps people from church is people from church. See, we keep people from church because we think we know what churchy people should look like. Here's the deal, though. Jesus died for all people, so it doesn't matter what people look like if we're trying to look like Jesus. Let me say that one more time. You ready? Jesus died for all people, so it doesn't matter what a person looks like if we're trying to look like Jesus. All right, that was for all of our seed throwers here in the room. I want to talk about soil. 
And, and what we're going to find is that we're all going to fit into some category of soil. And probably depending on the day, we could go between one or two or maybe in three or four of these different soil types. So uh, there's lessons for all of us throughout this sermon. So we're going to start with the seed on the path. Jesus says, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. That's a tough one. Uh, this person, uh, they, they hear the word, they hear the power of God for salvation, but there's a tragic reality, and it's this, their sin's more important to them, and so they never give it a chance to work in their lives. They don't need Jesus, they don't need a Savior, because they don't have a problem. And I don't know, maybe you're here today, and your thoughts are far from God. Somebody dragged you here. Right, and you're visiting a relative, you're in from out of town, or I, I, I don't know, you just showed up and thought you'd try something different, but your thoughts are far from God, and instead of listening, you're just going, this is stupid. I hope this guy's almost done talking. Actually, you don't have to be far from God to think that, but uh, I hope this guy shuts up soon. Uh, I hope this is the last thing that happens in the service. Uh, if that's you, can I, just, can I just ask you a favor this morning? You don't even have to look up. You don't have to open your eyes. You don't have to stop doodling, whatever you're doing. Uh, I just want to ask you a favor. Will you let me in for a second? Will you give me 30 seconds to just share something with you? Here's what I want to say to you. God loves you. Not because of how good-looking you are, how strong or smart or popular you are. God loves the person that you are when you don't feel like you have to perform. He loves the person you're insecure about being. I know that because he created you that way. You don't need to do drugs to impress God or be able to drink a lot of beer to impress God or sleep with a bunch of people or have a million dollar a year job or get six pack abs or have a perfect family or, or whatever to impress God. He loves you, exactly you, just the way you are and he wants what's best for you. That's it. And go back. Whatever it is you're doing, uh, it's your move. I just wanted you to know that this morning. Let's talk about rocky soil. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. Uh, uh, these people like the message. They really like it. They think it's pretty neat. And they know that they need life change. They know that there's some areas of their lives that could use some polishing up. Uh, but they, they kind of keep that need to themselves. Uh, they want faith to work on them as they sit in church once a week on Sunday. And, and, and certainly God can do that. Certainly God can use His Word to work in a person's life once a week as they're here on Sunday. I prepare every message and I pray to God that it will bring life change for somebody. Uh, Romans tells us that there's, power of, uh, that there's power in the Word of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Certainly God can do that, uh, but the reality is it's probably not going to work that way. If that's our expectation we're probably going to be disappointed. We're probably going to be disappointed. There aren't too many sermons that you're going to remember. I'm just going to be perfectly honest with you. We didn't meet last week. You probably don't remember what my sermon from the week before was about. I recognize that about my profession. Okay? Uh, there's not going to be too many sermons. Some of you are trying and you're going, oh, man, I can't. Right? Uh, I recognize that about my job. 
not going to be too many sermons that you remember. It's going to be as you spend time with the Word of God. It's going to be as you spend time with people who are serious about the Word of God. As you see people who are serious about the Word of God apply the Word of God to their lives, that your life is going to be changed. So uh, we like to use food as a metaphor uh, for Christianity. Uh, We also like to use food to eat, but we like to use food as a metaphor when we talk about the Bible. And you've probably heard somebody say, well, I left this church because I just wasn't being fed. You've probably heard somebody say that before, right? And my, my internal reaction is always pretty harsh when I hear that. And I always say, well, there's only two kinds of people who don't feed themselves, the very young and the very sick. Which one are you? I don't say that. I don't say that. That would be a terrible way to have a conversation, but I do think that, Okay. Uh, so I guess let me transition into a little illustration here I wasn't going to say that Uh, a lot of you have fond memories of going to your grandparents house for lunch on Sunday Sunday afternoon right Uh, how many of you did that growing up how many of you still do that man okay very cool very good Uh, you know what kind of meal we're talking about here it's meat vegetables, mashed potatoes straight from the hand of God, okay? Uh, There's rolls, there's delicious uh, mixed vegetables. There's always some sort of a cobbler with ice cream. You leave full on Sunday, don't you? Okay, now show of hands, how many of you started looking for a new grandma because she didn't feed you the other six days of the week? Anybody? Like, applications, grandma wanted Delicious meals six days a week. No. No, here's, here's my point. You're never going to get rooted in your faith if you only practice once a week. You're never going to get rooted in your faith if you only practice once a week. So what can you do? How can you get more rooted in your faith, more grounded? How can you get more healthy in your faith? How can you prevent your faith from withering because you've got no roots? Well, first of all, I've got two things in my mind. First of all, Find somebody to read the Bible with. Just find somebody to read the Bible with every day. You don't have to read a ton. Read one chapter. Read five verses at a time for all I care. Just find somebody to read the Bible with every day. Read the Bible with them. You'll have questions. I guarantee you'll have questions. Write your questions down and then ask somebody you know. Ask somebody you trust. And then when you get the answers, go share it with that person and then read a little bit more. Read the Bible with somebody every day. Here's the second thing. Uh, in, in March, we're going to be starting our spring small groups. It's eight weeks where you get to sit down with people and just share life with them in their living room. You get to talk about the Bible together. Uh, as we go through the, the Gospel of Mark, you'll be able to talk about that together. It's one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, we did this in the fall with 1 Corinthians, and it was a fantastic time. If you want to talk about getting more rooted in your faith, developing some roots and some depth and some relationship, I want to encourage you to get signed up for one of these spring small groups. We'll have information coming about coming out uh, over the next couple of weeks about that. But, but start thinking about that. Start praying about that now because I guarantee you it's a great opportunity to grow in your faith. I want to talk about thorns now. The seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word. And all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, by the lure of wealth and desire for other things, so no fruit is produced. This one's tough. 
And if we're honest with ourselves, all of us are at risk of being here all the time. We're all in danger of this if we don't pay attention. We're all capable of letting something other than God become a priority in our lives. And see, when something's a priority, it then becomes the priority. I want to illustrate this to you. I had a good friend of mine uh, growing up, and his cousin uh, was a quarterback, went to the NFL. This is no, no kidding. This isn't a preacher story either. This is also a true story. And so his cousin played for a team out west, and there was no big deal. Uh, they were able to go to church. They'd get a bite of lunch, and most weeks the game would start at 4 o'clock because it was out west, so they would be at home, and they'd be able to watch the whole game all afternoon. No conflict, no uh, nothing to, to test their faith. All of a sudden, cousin gets traded to the Chicago Bears. Very quickly, my friend realized he had a problem because football had been a priority, but faith was also able to hang in there. Now he has the opportunity to go to the Bears game every week that starts at noon with perfect seats, like family seats, right on the 50-yard line. He has the opportunity to go every week, and his faith is tested. And what we ultimately found is he had made something other than church a priority, and it was very easy for him to say no thanks. Now, now some of you are going, I don't care. Right? This is Colts country. You can go to all the Bears game you want. Okay, let me tell you something. I grew up in northwest Indiana. It's still Indiana, okay, but that was Bears country. So my blood may be blue, but it's dark blue, okay? I just need you to understand that about me, right, Rick? All right. Okay, very good. So there's two of us here. Right, this, is, this, is a, this is a tough one for me because at that time of my faith, I was still pretty young. I don't know how I'd have handled it. It might have been an awfully big temptation. But he made something other than his faith a priority. And very quickly it became the priority. When something's a priority, everything else becomes optional. Something's a priority, everything else becomes an option. So we like doing church. We like coming to church, and, and we're going to be here. We'll be here as we have time, but this is our priority. I like coming to church. I'm going to be at church when the Bears have an away game. I like coming to church, but this is my priority, and you can live that way for a while. You really can. You can live that way for a while, but one day you're going to ask yourself a question. You're going to say, what am I really missing? What is it about my faith that I'm missing? And if your faith isn't a priority, you're not going to know the answer. If your faith isn't a priority, you're not going to know the answer. C.S. Lewis said, the one thing Christianity can never be is moderately important. If it's false, it's of no importance. If it's true, it's of infinite importance. So this one's a danger that all of us could find ourselves facing if we're not careful. No matter where we are in our faith, no matter how mature we are, we're all in danger of falling into this trap. So what do we need to do? Here's my advice. Take an honest look at your life and see if anything has a priority over your faith. Just take an honest look. Sit down and pray about it. If something turns up, sit down with somebody you trust, somebody you respect, and talk about it. Confess it and see what that next step is.
Here's the last one. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. This is truly an exceptional claim. A successful yield at that time would have been about fivefold. So when Jesus says 30, 60, or 100-fold, his audience is going, yeah, that'd be an act of God. Let me tell you, what Jesus does in our lives after we come to faith is an act of God. That's what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, the Lord who is the Spirit makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. That is an act of God. And it's an act of God that happens every day. So several years ago, I read a story about a man named Dan Peterman. He owned several car dealerships in Pittsburgh. And uh, he was incredibly wealthy, incredibly influential in the, in the Pittsburgh area. Uh, he was also incredibly crass, immoral, and ruthless. His son wrote many years later that many of the women who worked for dad were fired because they rebuffed his advances. And several others were fired by mom because they didn't reject his advances. Cheating people was a part of the corporate culture. Seeing dad come in hungover was normal, and seeing him cure his hangovers with a bottle was just as normal. But in 1963, a regional representative from General Motors invited dad to a Billy Graham evangelistic crusade. And his son writes, you can probably imagine that over the next few years, Dad began to change his life. His legendary temper temper began to ease. He became deeply committed to mom. He became obsessed with making sure people weren't cheated at the dealership. He even got his drinking under control. You can probably imagine that that's the fairy tale ending you expected when you'd hear a story about this. But here's the rest of it, and here's what I found so compelling. Peterman's employees were so amazed at the work that God was doing in his life that in the first three years after his decision to follow Jesus, Dan Peterman was privileged to baptize 44 of his employees. So here's what we need to know. The work that God does in our lives changes other lives too. That's 30, 60, and 100 fold. And that's my prayer for all of us, that the work that God's doing in our lives would change other lives too. But it all starts with hearing. So maybe you've resisted. Maybe you've spent your life like seed on the path or you've been rocky soil, or you've allowed the weeds to grow up around your faith today, will you hear and accept God's word? Will you hear and accept that he loves you, the person that you are when you don't feel like you have to perform, and that he wants what's best for you? Would you let that message in? Would you let it begin to grow within you? And maybe you're here today, and this is the first time that you've heard that, and you want to respond. If that's you, I I think we should baptize you today for the forgiveness of your sins and for the gift of God's Holy Spirit to begin that renewing work every day in your life. So if that's you, I want to invite you to come forward. I'm going to stand right there. We're all going to stand and sing. But if you'd like to be baptized today, I think you should.